Well, as we announced, we are looking at the armor of God and how it worked for the Apostle Paul, since he is the one who wrote about it, and we also see how it worked in his life. So we've gone through his teaching, what he taught about the different pieces of the armor. Now we're going to take a look at how it was at work in his life. Last week, of course, we looked at Joshua. We saw how it worked in an Old Testament saint. This week we'll look at the New Testament. Just to review, the belt of truth that draws a battle line and brings attention to us and the difference between truth and deception while it keeps the other pieces of armor in place. Of course, the enemy tries to corrupt this. The breastplate of righteousness assures us of our right standing with the Father and our qualifications to be using the spiritual weapons to victory. The enemy likes to pull us into condemnation, self-righteousness, unforgiveness, and shake us from our stand of authority and position of over his head. The shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace, being prepared and ready to take the light of the gospel of God's word into the camps of the kingdom of darkness. The enemy, of course, tries to tell you that you're not ready, that questions will come up that you are not prepared for, and you just need to keep your mouth quiet. The shield of faith is our line of defense against the enemy's thoughts, worries, and fears. Of course, the enemy will try and overwhelm you with fears and worries instead of the thoughts of God and His promises, the assurances of His Word. He wants to try and neutralize the shield. The helmet of salvation is our identification in the army of God to friend and foe and our place in it. And the sword of the Spirit, a word spoken or revelation given to provide light and direction in our role, calling, task, or assignment for the kingdom, or perhaps even in our own personal battle. So we're going to be jumping around the book of Acts in the life of Paul. We're not reading all the verses in regards to Paul, but we are reading a a number of them. So if you are online, I sent you out the outline. If you are on the email list, and you might want to have extra paper with you because there was a lot of things that I couldn't uh, put in in there. I have extra paper back on the... uh, sound desk back there if anybody needs someone that are in here but let's take a look at Paul's beginning in Acts chapter 9 verse 15 but the Lord said to him go for he is a chosen vessel of mine speaking to the prophet to bear my name before Gentiles kings and the children of Israel for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake now I'm sure that this eventually got back to Paul whether he knew about it that night but eventually it it surely would have gotten to him if it made it into the book of Acts. And that's something that would shape his calling and the purpose for his life. And that surely stayed with him all the days of his, his life as far as his purpose. There were more things that were spoken. But there we see the sword in Paul's life, the first one. There are many, actually. In verse 20, immediately he preached the, the Christ in the synagogue and uh, that he was that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroys those who called on his, on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? So Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this is Jesus, that this Jesus is the Christ. When I look at this and read this, this is certainly the breastplate of righteousness. Because how can you go from a place of killing God's servants, getting rebuked by God directly, and then getting up the next day and going out there and preaching Christ? I mean, that would mess with me. (laughs) I'd be thinking, wait a minute, i got to have a certain amount of repentance and uh, let people know that I'm real sorry for what I've done. Nope, he gets out there and it says immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogue. 
So he, this, this man knew his place. That is amazing to me that he gets saved, turned on to the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and the next day he's walking in it. And you gotta know the enemy is telling him, no, you shouldn't be doing this. People around him might even be telling, telling him, why are you here preaching Christ? You were just killing all these people. So he has a lot of reasons to, to be knocked off of his breastplate, but he stays with it. And of course the belt of truth is even involved there because he knows the truth of the word of God. And God gave him insight on how that applied. So we see the breastplate going on here, just keeping him in that place. And just remember, when the devil comes along and tries to disqualify you from doing things, remember Paul here, the guy who wrote us about the, the uh, armor. He's out there killing Christians on a mission for it, and the next day he's out there preaching Christ. And so they were all, uh, they're mad with, of course, with Paul. He confounded the Jews. He gets a, a lot more of them mad as the time goes on. But I think about this for a while. Paul was the poster child for all these people. They loved Paul. They thought Paul was the greatest. He's out there persecuting the Christians. And so the Jews absolutely loved him. And then within one day, they hate him. <laughs> think about that when you think, when you see some public figures who go from being popular or liked to enemy overnight. Just because they changed their views or they're fighting against something in the system. Verse, uh, 9.26 And when Saul had come to Jerusalem he tried to join the disciples but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem coming in and going out and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists but they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. So again, we see a lot of uh, animosity toward him. And he didn't get shaken by this. Despite people trying to make him feel guilty, <clears throat> make him feel bad for what he had gone through, what he had done, he preached the name of Jesus boldly. In chapter 11, we're going to jump up to there, verse 25. Then Barnabas departed from Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And so it was for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So Paul had gone to Tarsus and he sent some, spent some time there, uh, a lot of time. And this is where he got the revelations and where God taught him about the church age and some of the things that were coming. He received all these things there. God took all of his Old Testament knowledge that he had and refined it so that he could understand it in light of the New Testament, in light of the time of, of Christ and in the church. And as he's learning all this, then Barnabas comes and finds him. Barnabas brings him over to Antioch, which is the second Jerusalem. This is the Jerusalem for the Gentiles. Jerusalem, of course, was for the Jews. But he brings him over there. And for a whole year, Paul assembles. This is the man who has had uh, heavenly revelations given to him called up into heaven and discussed the truth of the word of God and he stays out over here he just teaches for a whole year he did this he, what we see here is he's tightening up the belt he's taking the belt that he has the belt of truth and he is refining this he is getting it where it needs to be 
Just because I had a revelation from heaven doesn't mean I'm there yet. I got to tighten this belt. I got to understand all this truth. And so this is what he did. And even after he comes back, he spends a whole year here. Then we see over in chapter 13, now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So he had waited all this time. I'm sure that uh, Paul knew God had called him to some things. He may have even known he had an apostolic calling. He may have known that he was called to be a teacher. He was certainly jumping in and preaching the gospel right away. He knows his calling is there, but he waits until God calls him. He waits. And then the Lord came during this meeting and said, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. The calling was already there. But now we're doing the separation. He didn't pick up on the calling sooner. He didn't decide to, well, I just want to do this. I'm going to go out there and do it. He waited for God to pronounce him ready. And so here you certainly see the helmet. He received the assignment. He received the assignment. Remember, he described the helmet as something that you receive. He received the assignment from God. And now he's ready to go. He's got a helmet. He knows what he's supposed to do in the body of Christ. He knows what God has told him to do. And now they begin to pick that up here in Acts chapter 13. Jump down to verse 6. Now when they had gone through the island of Paphos, and this is Barnabas and he, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsuls, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas, and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O fool of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you. <clears throat> And you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him. And he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done. <clears throat> excuse me. What had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So we see in this situation that there is a sword that is deployed. There is someone in the group who has decided to make an enemy of the light that Paul is speaking. Paul and Barnabas are delivering an enemy of the gospel. And so as this is going on, and Paul sees this conflict that is there, he receives a word from God. He receives a sword of the, of, uh, of the Spirit, and he speaks it out. Now understand, if you, this is a great example of this, because he receives the sword, but nothing happens until he speaks it. He received it before, I don't know if it was minutes before, if it was in the morning, but he received it before and now he speaks it out. But nothing happens until he speaks it out. He says, O fool of all deceit and all fraud. Now, of course, they qualified this and said, Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is, is in him. 
We're emphasizing that for this. O oh, fool of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil. Well, this is, this is not just him name calling. This is the Spirit of God revealing what his source was. You enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now, indeed, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. Now, here's a place where you see the sword of the Spirit used as an offensive weapon. This is not just the sword of the Spirit for him to use for his own personal um, ministry, for his own uh, course, keeping himself on the course. We saw that in the earlier one. This one is given. I want you to use this directly against the enemy. Here's a man who's been set up against you. Now, here's a sword. Speak it. And he spoke it out. And this man went blind. And all the people saw that. So if they want to say, this guy's trying to turn you from God, well, God just showed who's stronger and whose side he's on. That is certainly a sword. When you get the sword of the Spirit, when you are involved in engaged in warfare, not only is the sword going to be spoken for you to um, shore up where you are and your calling and so forth, but you can speak it out to things of the enemy. That revelation will come. That word will come. You speak it out to that thing. It may be something that you're facing and that word comes. You've got to speak it out. Just because God gave it to you doesn't mean it happens until you speak it out. You've got to say it. And that's what Paul did. Immediately after he gets done saying it, and immediately a dark mist fell on him and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Verse 13. Now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they had departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after reading... After the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers in the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then Paul stood up and motioned with his hand and said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. Now we talked before about the shoes. This is the preparation of the gospel of peace. This is the shoes of preparation. This is the shoes of being ready to give a defense for the gospel, to speak about the gospel, to do something in this area, which is really what Paul ever always did. Whenever he went in, he's always looking, how can I bring the gospel here? How can I speak about this? And so he comes here and he, he hears this, men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Can you imagine showing up at a church and you just you, know, you got in the town, show up in the church and as you sat down, had your seat, then someone says, hey, would you like to come up and share today? <laughs> and uh, Paul doesn't say, well, you know, I didn't really come ready to share anything or he didn't have to go in the back room and said, let me pray for a little while and, and get this. He gets right up because he is prepared with something to say. And Paul stood up and motioned with his hand and said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. And then he goes on and he, he uh, preaches the, the message that he preached. In verse uh, 13, or chapter 13, verse 47. On the next Sabbath... Almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitude, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, now they grew bold. They were, they were bold. You can't ever say that Paul and Barnabas weren't bold. They were bold. These are bold people. They would go in and they would make proclamations. They would fight against things that came against them. They were bold people. But it said they grew bold. So it's saying something when you have a bold person who just grew bolder. And Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, 
And let's go on to what they what they were saying. It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. That is a sword of the Spirit. That is a word spoken to Paul. But despite that, Paul still went in and gave the Jews the first opportunity. So he's actually going into the town. He's going to speak to the Jews, but inside he knows they're going to reject this. They're going to reject this. So when they reject it, I'm not going to take it personally. I know they're going to reject it. And when they do, I have this word. God spoke this word to me. For so the Lord has commanded us. Now, he doesn't say how that word came. We don't know if a prophet spoke it to them. If Barnabas got it in the middle of the night, if Paul got it in the middle of the night or in the middle of the day, whenever this was spoken, they just, they know the Lord had commanded them. I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. So you're in the synagogue. You're in with the Jewish people. The Jewish people have rejected you. You are in their town and you are telling the Jewish people, fine, we're going to take the gospel message to the Gentiles and not you. That takes some guts. Of course, he said he grew bold. But that is a sword of the Spirit that was spoken in. This is a different sword than all the other things that were spoken. This is about this. And it certainly governed a lot of things that they would do. This did not govern him initially. But once he received it, it helped to govern him from that point on. So he knew he was a light to the Gentiles. He would still minister to the Jews and give them a chance to reject it. But then he would go on to the Gentiles. Verse 48. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now, I wrote some things and I just left them all in instead of giving you blanks. In fact, you have no blanks at all tonight. You have nothing to write unless you want to write extra stuff. But the kingdom of light, when the kingdom of light comes, it speaks words given. Whenever the people went out from the... uh, When Jesus went out, when the disciples went out, when Paul went out, whoever went out... They spoke the words that God gave them. Those are the words that they said. They spoke revelation received. They had revelation that they received and they gave those revelations. As God gave them revelation, they would pass that understanding off on other people. They gave them truth that they understood and demonstrations of God's power. This is what the kingdom of light does. It speaks words given, revelations, truth and demonstrations of God's power. Let's take a look at how the kingdom of darkness responds. Chapter 14, verse 1. Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude both of Jews and of the Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their mind against the brethren. Therefore they stayed there a long time speaking boldly in the Lord who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles 
and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra, Derby, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding regions. Now my question is, how did they become aware of it? Was it a revelation or a word given from God, like a sword, to help protect them from the enemy? Uh, was it a prophetic word? Was it just a, a perception they had in the night? Don't know what it is, but it sure seems like this was a sword that was given to them, a word, a revelation that protected them. They became aware of it. Somehow, they became aware of the, of the plot. Doesn't really tell us how. But the kingdom of darkness, just from the things we saw here and the things we know from other places in Scripture, we know that they stir up crowds. That's what they like to do. They like to, to stir up crowds and get masses of people against whatever it is they want them to be against. We see it here. We see it with Jesus. You remember the crucifixion? They stirred up the crowd. Asked for Jesus. Or asked ask for Bar- Barabbas. Don't ask for Jesus. Tell Jesus, crucify him. Crucify him. And so they stirred up the crowds for those things. How many other people were the crowd stirred up? How many times did Paul be in a place and they stirred up the crowd? How many uh, other places do you see the crowds are stirred up? This is what darkness does. It stirs up the crowds. A lot of times the people don't even know why they're there. I think one, I forget where it is, but one of the places in Scripture says they're all rioting and a lot of people didn't even know why. <laughs> they're just here. We're just all stirred up. And that's what the darkness will do. They poison their mind, it said. They put counteracting falsehoods into their head. Paul was giving them truth. Gave, they gave them other things against that truth. They poisoned their minds. You'll see this all the way back in the garden too. That's what the uh, serpent did. Has God really said? See, poisoning the mind with, with uh, counteracting uh, thoughts, counteracting falsehoods, things that will come against the truth that you know. This is what they did, poison their minds. That's what the enemies of the light will do. Remember Jeroboam? He had the word of God and then the enemy comes in and sows the thought, you know they're going to rise up and kill you once they go back and, and start serving the, uh, the God of Jerusalem. You're going to have to change things. And he did. Don't restrict speech. Remember with the disciples? You will not preach in this name. And they say, well, what should we do? Obey you or obey God? I think we'll obey God. And we saw other places in the scripture where they tried to restrict the speech of the disciples as they went out and preached in the name of Jesus. They'll defame character. We saw this with Jesus. They defamed his character. They have, they raised up people to be witnesses against them, but they wouldn't agree. They did it with Stephen. They tried to defame his character. And they hired people to come in and say all manner of evil about him. They did it other places too. This is the tactic of the enemy. And they declare without proving. We see this a lot today. We see all these things today because these are characteristics of the enemy. But they declare without proving. They declared things about Paul. Remember they declared, well they just assumed that he took so and so into the temple. They didn't know it, but they just assumed it. They declared things about Jesus. They heard things that he taught. They misunderstood them. And they just said the way we understood it, that's the way that it is. They were wrong. They said things about Stephen. They tried to defame his character. And they were wrong there. Saul spoke things against David. They weren't true. They said He said, David wants to kill me. David wants to, to take over the throne. They weren't true. But he spoke them out anyway. This is the kingdom of darkness. Anytime you see somebody who wants to declare a falsehood without having to prove it, you don't have to wonder if it's of the light. And if it's not of the light, it's of, of the darkness. 
chapter 14, verse 7. And when and they were preaching the gospel there, and in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him intently, and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped, and he walked. Now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. But when the, when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out, and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you, and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness, and that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. Well, this demonstrates the helmet of salvation because they kept on the right helmet. They kept on the helmet that God had given them. We are servants of the Most High God. You cannot worship us. There are people in the Old Testament who did not follow this. They allowed that worship to come down upon them. Herod was one. He gave the the great uh, speech. And they all said the voice of a God. And uh, he didn't rebuke them for that. And he later uh, died shortly after that. But they know. No, we have the helmet of salvation on. We are on God's team. We have an assignment from God. We're not changing. We're not becoming Team Paul and Barnabas. We are Team God. And they stayed with that. And that's certainly the helmet. There's a lot of people that have switched teams. They have the helmet of salvation. They've received the salvation that came from God. They've received that plan of salvation. But then they begin to change it. Words are spoken to them. Well, you know, God really won't send anyone to hell. Well, you know, you know, there's a lot of ways to get to heaven. Jesus is not the only one. And you'll hear ministers of the gospel who will preach, who will teach people, well, we can't just say that these other people aren't going to go. We can't just say because the Word of God says that this isn't going to happen, that that's not going to happen, that people who do these things aren't going to enter into the kingdom of God. We can't just say that. Um, yes, you can if you have the helmet on. We receive the helmet. We don't make the helmet. We don't change the helmet. We receive the helmet. So as God says salvation is, as God says my role is, I receive those things. And that's what they did. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 15. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. So here we come. We're coming on down. We're changing the gospel a little bit. We're going to make a little bit more Old Testament here. We're going to bring you back into the Old Covenant. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostle, apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia, Samaria, describing the conversation of the Gentiles and they they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, 
They were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now this got Paul's dander up, so to speak, because he received from God what the New Testament church was to be like. He knew this is not part of it. That's part of the Old Covenant. This is not part of the New Covenant. And so he was going to defend this. There are certain things that would really get Paul angry. And, um, you know, I, I, you are probably in the same boat. I know I'm sometimes in the same boat. You hear somebody preaching some things, and sometimes they mention something. Oh, that gets you mad. Oh, why are you saying stuff like that? Other times they may say something. Well, that's off. Uh, that's all right. I'll, I can, I can, I, I know that's not right, but, but certain ones, don't you know, they just make you mad. They just get that anger coming up on the inside of you. And this is Paul. You are not changing the gospel here. You are not making this go on the, in this way. So he resisted righteousness through the law because he knew we wear the breastplate of righteousness. We wear the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is the righteousness that we have. We're not going back to the Old Testament kind of righteousness because we live in the New Testament. We have the blood of Jesus. We're no longer under the blood of bulls and goats. The blood of Jesus has been presented on the altar. Now, what would have happened if Paul and others had not put on the breastplate and belt and not resisted this, this perversion of truth? Because this is what they're doing. They're trying to pervert the truth. But Paul said, oh no, the truth is this. The righteousness comes this way. And he stood with it. This is, this is what's going on. He would not let that go. What would happen if he or others had not fought for that? But they did fight for it. And they went all the way to Jerusalem to contend with this. And uh, you can... Of course, read all the things that are going on with that. Let's go on to chapter 16. We're getting into the second journey here. That's a, those are things that happened on his first journey. Verse 6. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia in the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Well, they're, <clears throat> they're in prayer, trying to receive direction on what to go. They're always in, in prayer about things, but this is something that they would do. So he knew that one of his spiritual weapons was prayer, and so as he's going on through, he's asking God, where are we to go? Where are we to go? And they didn't just go into any place they wanted to. They said, we're intending to go here. And the Spirit of God said, nope, don't go there. Because they're in a place of prayer. They're listening to God. We saw Joshua messed up in that area before. That's one of the few areas that he messed up on. And he would have been alerted that these people were within your territory. Don't make a treaty with them. But he didn't go to God in prayer. Paul was going to God in prayer. He's praying Letting God lead them. No, don't go here. They go, all right, let's go over here. No, don't go there. All right, let's go over here. No, don't go there. <laughs> every, every time they find a place to go, the Spirit of God says, no, don't go there. And then in the night, God gave them direction on what to do. And so that's the direction they followed. They, through prayer, they received the direction. Verse uh, 16, let's jump down there. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. 
And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And, of course, the story goes goes on from there. We'll pick that up here in just a minute. But this had gone on for a couple of days. He didn't speak to it right away. Something came up in his spirit. He would see a sword about this. God spoke to him about it. God gave him revelation on it. He then speaks this out and this spirit goes. And it causes all kinds of trouble. And when they brought them to the magistrates, verse 20, they said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. And the multitude rose up together against them. And the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Notice there was no proof given for any of these accusations. They just made them. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. The prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prisons prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened everyone's chains were loosed and the keeper of the prison awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open supposing the prisoners had fled drew his sword and was about to kill himself but Paul called with a loud voice saying do yourself no harm for we are all here what a great example of the shield of faith because no matter what it was that was thrown at him here they are in the middle of the prison without a care in the world, without a worry, without a fear, just singing praises to God. That is a person who the shield of faith extinguished every fiery dart thrown at them. And uh, they weren't affected by them at all. How frustrated was the devil throwing all these fiery darts at them and not a single thing gets through. They're in there praising God. And then the whole earthquake comes and shakes the prison, knocks off everybody's chains. What a kind of earthquake is that? And... That was just tremendous. Gave a quite a testimony to the keeper. Verse 29. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Wow, that's a invitation there. Wouldn't you just love it if people came up to you and said, What do I need to do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, it's not if he believes the household is saved. The household can be saved the same way he can if they believe in the Lord. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him, to all who were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now, when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Well, here's certainly a demonstration of the shoes, because when the opportunity came, he was ready. And he spoke words of the gospel. He was prepared. And these people, not only does he get saved, but he takes them on over to the house. The wife gets saved. Kids get saved. The household, all the people there in the household, they all get saved. They're all rejoicing. They all get baptized. I mean, we had a whole church service going on at night time. He was ready. In uh, chapter 17, verse 1. Now when they had passed through... Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them 
and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead and saying, This Jesus whom I preached to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. Now look at a couple of the words here that were used. First, he was in there for three Sabbath reasoning. If you are reasoning, you're not just preaching. You're saying something and they come back, yeah, but what about this? And then he's prepared, yet, well, that's because of this. And he, all right, but if that's true, then, and we're going back and forth on this thing. They reason with them from the scriptures. We're not talking about experience. We're taking, we're going to the scriptures. It says this, Moses said this, the prophet said this. And he explained, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preached to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, which means they had one opinion, but by the time they got finished, they had gone over to another. So Paul is prepared to answer whatever questions they ask. When they ask a question, he's either prepared, something comes up in his spirit to speak to them, and a number of them are persuaded. Verse uh, 10. Jump on down there. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. So daily they they would search these scriptures. So they're having conversations with Paul and he's giving them scriptures. And then they go home and they study these scriptures. Or they went to their synagogue and they looked them up on their scroll. However they did it, they went and they studied them. Then they come back to Paul. Yeah, Paul, we looked at that. But what about this over here? And Paul's ready for it because he's prepared. He's ready to, to share with them the things that the, the Word of God has to say. Therefore, many of them believed and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the Word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, They came there also and stirred up the crowds. There's that stirring up again. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea. But both Silas and Timothy remained there. So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens and receiving a command from Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Why? Because he wants the gospel to go in. When Paul goes into a place, he goes in with the gospel. That's what he does. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of of foreign gods because he preached them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, <clears throat> saying, May we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. These folks love strange things. That was one of the things about the Greeks. They just love learning new things. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time and nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new things. And Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious, for as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, 
I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. He continues to go on here. But what was he doing when he's walking through the city? He's preparing. How am I going to bring the gospel message to these people? And as he's walking on through, the Spirit of God brings his attention to this one statue, to the unknown God. And God says, tell him I'm the unknown God. He's preparing. He's getting himself ready. He's looking around the city to see what is it that I can use that they are used to that I can bring the gospel to them. And this is what he does when he sits before them. This is the preparation. This is what Paul would do. If you leave Paul in a place, he's, he's walking around. He's preparing. They left Paul by himself there in Athens. He's walking around the city. He's preparing. How can I bring the gospel to these people? Because he's tormented. They're so taken up with idolatry. How can we help them? How can we get them out of this thing? And so his shoes were helping him walk around. And he would walk around the city. And he saw this. And he began to use it. Chapter 18, verse 1. After these things, Paul departed for Athens, from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. He came to them. So because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. So he's still going on this part here. He's still going in with the gospel. He's still finding ways. He's reasoning with them. He's telling them this is what the Word says. And they're saying, yeah, but what about this over here? And then he would come back. Well, there's this. We're reasoning together. Verse 6, But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. For now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by vision, Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in the city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God to them. Well, there we see the sword. God spoke to him. This sword applied to him here in this city. In this city, Paul, I want to let you know, do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent. What's he speaking? He's speaking the gospel. He's speaking the gospel of peace between God and men, that Jesus Christ has come and made peace between God and men. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. Well, that's a good word to hear. And of course, Paul listened to that. He stayed there for a year and six months. That was a long time for as much as he's been there. A lot of times he's in there a couple weeks, and they're kicking him out. He got to stay there for a year and six months, teaching the word of God to them, and we all know about the church in Corinth. We're going to jump down to chapter 18, verse 1. Now God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Now this is, this is a, I put this under the helmet, because God worked unusual miracles by the hand of Paul. God says, Paul, this is part of what I'm going to put in your ministry. 
And part of this is some unusual miracles. And so he gave them this as his assignment. This wasn't something that happened in the beginning, but as he was going along, God added this to it. It's kind of like taking the helmet and we're adding a few more feathers because we're increasing your rank. We're doing a little bit more there. We're making it... But Paul, you've been faithful and all this. Now I'm going to put this on there. And so he puts this on. You also notice that today, how many people take on this by themselves? How many people have just, well, since Paul did handkerchiefs and aprons, uh, we'll just do that ourselves. And so, you know, some churches I've even seen, they got in the back of the church, you can buy their, their handkerchiefs and uh, whatever they're selling them for. And if you buy one of their handkerchiefs, then you can take it and put it up in the front. And then whoever is the minister there, they will lay hands on, on those handkerchiefs. You can't just bring your own. you got to buy one of the ones from the back. <laughs> oh, my. I laughed when I, I heard that. Of course, I was crying on the inside. But, but this was a special thing. It said, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. I'm not saying that Paul is the only one God would ever do this through. But this is not a normal thing. This is an unusual thing. It's like it was unusual with Peter. Peter would walk in just the shadow passing over people. Would heal. That was an unusual thing. That's not something that everybody did. I can't believe God for a shadow anointing. But God passed it on to him. God says, I'm going to put this into your calling. I'm going to put this into what you're doing. And God came to the point with Paul. Paul, this is what I'm going to do. And so that inspiration came probably somehow it was spoken to him. And he said, look, just, just pray over those uh, aprons play over those handkerchiefs. The men would bring the aprons. The women would bring the handkerchiefs. The men would bring the, these aprons that they would bring. They were actually aprons, I'm told, that uh, they wore, some of them, while they were making idols. They were aprons that would protect them from the hot metal. And they would pray over these. Or maybe the wives would take the aprons and bring them in so that the husband, the next day, when he would put the apron on. <laughs> if, however it was, he was praying over these things in this this particular way. But the men wore the aprons. Don't think the women did. The men were the ones wearing the aprons. And so he would pray over them. Maybe the wife was saying that demon spirits got my husband. And, and God gave him this understanding. Tell her, bring up home the apron. Somehow it got started, but it was an unusual miracle. I can't just go out there and take that helmet. I want to do this. It won't work in the spiritual battle. But it does work for Paul because God put it into his helmet. God put it into his calling. There's a lot of people, they just pick these things up, but it's not in their calling. And uh, a little bit further down here, in verse uh, 15 through 17, I didn't put this in your outline for you. I'll just read a few of the verses. Remember when the evil spirits uh, answered the seven sons of Sceva? <laughs> Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Just because you want to come against spiritual things doesn't mean that you have uh, what it takes. And Jesus was known, Paul was known, but these folks were not known in this area. And they, of course, jumped on them and beat them up. Verse uh, 7 of chapter 20, it's jumped down there. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. And in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep. And he was overcome by sleep. And as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Paul went down, fell on him, embraced him, said, Do not trouble yourselves, 
for his life is in him. Now when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till daybreak he departed and they brought the young man in alive and they were not a little comforted. Now you'll see a couple of things in here. First off, you'll see the shield because if you were Paul and somebody just died in your meeting, that could put a damper on it. And that can have an effect on your on your psyche, on your thoughts. Uh, but it doesn't him. He goes down. He prays over him. And it says, uh, go back to that spot. Do not trouble yourselves, verse 10, for his life is in him. Well, that God spoke something to him. He's not alive yet. He's not moving around yet. He's still down there. Paul says, don't worry about it. His life is in him. Let's go back up and finish the meeting. As far as I can tell, they left him down there dead. But he'd already gotten, he got the, the answer from God. He stretched himself out, out there, fell on him, embraced him. Got that word. All right, we're, we're good. That's going up. In other words, he, he made that connection with the Spirit. And things were okay. So they went up and they finished the meeting. They broke bread together. They talked a long while, even till daybreak. And then he departed. And then they brought the young man in alive. He wasn't alive until then. Now what kind of thoughts would you be having if this kind of thing is going on? This is the shield that worked for Paul. Nope, nope. This is it. Can you imagine being there? You're, the, you're leading the meeting and you just prayed over him. That word came to you. Then you go on with the meeting. Don't you know the devil is throwing some fiery darts at you? Now you told him that he's alive, but you know very well he's still down there. How can you be up here breaking bread, talking with people, doing all this, when that's going on down there? If that was really God that spoke that word to you, don't you think you would have seen something by now? But he had that shield of faith up. No matter what it was that the devil threw at him, he was fine. That's certainly the shield of faith working there. Because I know I would have been having some, some thoughts coming to me. If the devil's not throwing them at you, you can make them up yourself. Verse 17. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, what happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you, and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And see now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that this Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying, The chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count myself dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus is testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now it seems like that Paul received another sword, another word. And it sent him on this mission. It seems that God spoke to him, Paul, I want you to go to Jerusalem. Because he's, he's been on going. And no matter who tells him, you know, you go down there, you're going to be bound up. You go on down there, these bad things are going to happen to you. And he says, I'll stop this stuff. I'm, I'm willing to go. I'm ready to go. It seems like he had a word. A sword came to him. This is what, what I need you to do. Now, as we said, some swords are to speak against the enemy and some are to empower you in the thing that God's calling you to do. This one seemed to empower him. 
We're going to jump on down to 28 because a lot of things that go on in the middle, they happened around the tumult in Jerusalem, the voyage over to uh, Rome. A lot of things were going on. We we did spend some time with that. We saw how he received that uh, sword of the spirit about the sword or about the, the storm that the people on the boat were saved. We saw that prayer was involved, that he used prayer in in that and, and many other things that were going on. We saw the shield that was involved while he was on this in this battle on the boat. And we've already looked at some of that. So let's jump on over here to 28, verse 1. Now when they had escaped, they then found out that the island was called Malta. This is when they escaped the boat that was going down. And the natives showed us unusual kindness for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow to live. Do they have any evidence? They have absolutely no evidence, do they? They're assuming. Or we can sure know that we can get ourselves into problems with assuming. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Do they have any evidence for that? No, that's just what they feel. They're just coming to conclusions and making assumptions. They're wrong on both of them. They're both completely opposite. They're wrong on both. And here we see that not only does he receive uh, the the shield of faith, which is protecting him, because you have a you have a, a snake that comes out, and apparently they all know that this is a deadly snake because they're expecting him to die. So they know there's snakes. They know which ones uh, you got to be careful of. So they they saw this thing come out. But we we know that he was given a, a a word from God. God had spoken to him. You are going to testify before me. He had that sword. He had that word. So he knows. And because of that sword, because of that word that's coming to him, when this uh, snake latched hold of him, he said, "Don't matter." The storm couldn't get me. The storm couldn't stop me from doing what God said. Neither can this snake. So he took a hold of that sword, that word that God spoke to him, and he stayed with it. And that shield of faith kept him from thinking or having any of those thoughts come in and and, uh, and messing with his, his psyche. Verse 7. Now in that region there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island whose name was Publius who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. Now, it's, it's not quite clear. Is this person sick when Paul gets there? Or does it become sick over the course of three days? If the person became sick over the course of the three days that Paul was there, maybe Paul's there for a day. Maybe on the second day this begins to affect him. The third day it's 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 real bad. And Paul might be thinking, boy, we, things just seem to start to turn around. We just 
we get this uh, real rich guy who's uh, helping us out and he's uh, brought us into his house and things are looking real good. And then this guy gets sick. What if he starts blaming me for it? What if he thinks that I'm the reason for the for that? But Paul doesn't do it. He's got his shield up. Those thoughts are coming in. Those thoughts are trying to get you to to go that way. But it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went into him and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. Well, this is where he's operating in that helmet because he has a calling from God. And he knows that part of that calling is to minister in the area of healing. And so he goes in there. Hey, don't worry about this. Don't worry about this. I'll go in there. We'll pray for him. And so he does and he gets healed. And then the people on the island say, hey, we got somebody who prayed for sick people and they get healed. Let's bring more of them out. And so then Paul gets all this stuff going on. He might be thinking, Paul, you know, they, they like us now. We just kind of like to keep a low profile. But uh, he doesn't. He says, all right, let's, let's have some meetings. Now, the devil meant to kill Paul with the storm. That didn't work. So he sent a serpent and that didn't work. And it doesn't seem like he's, uh, he's getting anything, any way to get this to go. Paul just keeps stopping it because he keeps operating in the armor that God has given him. Now, what happens if Paul gives in to fear from the snake? What happens if the snake comes out, bites him, and he gives in to fear? Well, why would Paul do that? He just had the great victory on the water. Why would you give in to this? Well, why did Elijah give in to his, his stuff? He had a great victory on the mountain, and then he gives in and runs afraid. What happens if Paul gives in to fear from the snake? If Paul doesn't operate in the ministry he received from God, laying hands on this servant, then no one else comes up and asks for healing. Nobody else comes up and asks for healing, then the meetings don't go on, and the people on the island don't get the salvations that that they see happen. Paul changed the course of this island because he operated in the helmet, the calling that God had put on him. He operated in the shield of faith. He operated with the sword of the Spirit and spoke those things that God had given him to do. He knew about his righteousness and he stayed with that righteousness. And of course the shoes, he's going in there with the gospel. He's going to preach to them the gospel. And we see the shoes in all the defense that Paul made of the gospel before the kings and leaders, before Caesar, all the different ones. He'd come before them. He's not defending himself. He came in with the gospel. He came in and preached the gospel. He looked for something in the matter of the court that he could bring the gospel in. Well, they're wondering about me. Let me take them on back to what God did for me. Let me take them on back to what God spoke to me. Let me take them on back to what God showed me here. The understanding God gave me on these things. And he would be speaking along these things. And all the times that he would make a defense, the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace were there. We may even have a few more swords that were spoken over the course of this time that he was there with, and they're not all recorded. But they may have been, been helping that. But we can imagine what would happen if Paul doesn't take up the whole armor of God. Can't we? If Paul hadn't taken up all of the armor of God, we can see just in these instances where that would be. We didn't look at all the instances. We can go through his epistles and he talks about other places in the epistles or where different parts of these things were going. doesn't call them those, but you can see uh, when he talks about all the cares of the churches that come upon him, when he talks about some of the uh, uh, things that he faced or how he went in with the gospel, all that is talked about in the epistles, and we didn't go through all those. But we're sure glad that Paul took off the whole armor of God 
because he changed the world with it. Now, what happens if we don't take up the whole armor of God? What happens if we leave a few pieces down? Now, as we looked over the situation with Joshua last week, we look at her Paul this week, I noticed a couple of things about when we go into battle. You can write down whatever you want to of this. I couldn't fit them into your, your outline there. But when we go into, when we go to battle, it seems the battle, first off, is against us by attacking what the armor represents. The battle is against us by attacking what the armor represents. The battle was about truth when the belt of truth was deployed. The battle was about our place in the body of Christ when the helmet was was affected. The battle was about the word that God spoke to them when the sword was deployed. The battle was about our right standing before God when the righteousness was affected. The battle was about, don't come in here and be preaching the gospel. No one here wants to hear that. And the shoes wouldn't have been deployed there. There was prayer. There was many times we saw in the Bible that prayer was not used and it should have been used. Joshua was just one case where we saw that. But there's other as well. But it's against by attacking what the armor represents. So when we look at the armor of God, I'm not just coming after him with the righteousness, but the attack from the enemy seems to be about your stand in righteousness. The attack of the enemy seems to be about will you be on God's team or are you going to make up a new team? Jeroboam decided to make up a new team and he went a new way. And many of the kings of Israel did the same thing. They made up their own team. So that was the first thing. Second one, when we go to battle, it seems the battle involves one or two pieces at a time. In all these situations we looked at with Paul and all these situations we looked at with Joshua. We're looking at one or two pieces at a time. Very seldom do we see three involved. Hardly ever do you find all four. It seems when the devil comes that it comes against the righteousness in the helmet. It comes against the sword. It comes against the shield. It comes against one or two pieces at a time. And as we listed these things down, we showed you here's one piece where it's attacking. Here's two pieces where it's attacking. But very seldom do you see more than one or two at a time. So when you take up the whole armor, it's not about I have to have the whole armor all at the same time. It seems that the devil seems to, he just wants to come in. Let's see if we can get them off of the helmet. Let's see if we can get them enticed into going after a calling that God didn't put on their life. Let's see if we can do that. Let's see if we can affect their stand in righteousness. Don't let that happen. So, when we go to battle, it seems the battle is by people who are or work to become close to us. And a lot of these things we saw with Paul, they were people who either were or worked to become close. There are sometimes people who are going to be showing up in your life they're not close yet, but they're working to become close because they have ulterior motives. So when you are faced with the battle and the armor is being used, it's sometimes by people who are or work to become close to you. Second, or the next, it would be by those who present as being on our team. How many times do we look at Paul and there are people who presented as being on God's team, but they are not on God's team. They pretended to be that way. John the Baptist had people who showed up to get baptized who pretended to be on God's team. 
Jesus was dealing with the Pharisees, they pretended to be on God's team. Paul had people who would infiltrate the ranks and pretend to be on God's team. He called them uh, you know, wolves in sheep clothing. Jesus called them shepherds who come in from another door. They don't come into the gate. And lastly, by those who directly oppose us. There are people in Paul's life, there were people in Joshua's time when he was battling, they just, they just came right after you. They were directly opposing you. They are easier for us to see this is who our battle is against. But just understand there's also those people that are going to pretend to be in your team but never were. There are going to be those people who are, uh, at, they are close to you or they're working to become close to you. Look for people who have the same helmet of salvation on. Maybe they don't believe everything about the church age, about the promises of God, but make sure they have the helmet on. Make sure they're going after the same God. Make sure they believe that Jesus is the way, the only way. And uh, get people on your team. Because a lot of these people that were pretending to be on the team, they did not have that right helmet on. They had on somebody else's helmet. Be looking for the helmet of God. And you can, uh, you can, you can see them. Boy, you can tell them that joy of the Lord, that is one thing that will give Christians away. Haven't you ever met some people that they're just so full of joy? I sometimes, we, we were, my wife and I, we were waiting for the kids that were, uh, over the summer, we were taking them over to Sesame Place. And, um, we were out there and just, uh, waiting for them at the, at the gate. And so my wife went off. She was off doing something. I was sitting there by myself. And this uh, gentleman came up. He was cleaning the, the park. He was sweeping things up. He just had a smile. I just started striking up a conversation with him, chatting him for a little while. And uh, he just was happy. And I, I said, you're a believer, aren't you? I had nothing to go on. I just knew. He said, I sure am. <laughs> and so we, he, well, he identified himself as a believer. I was a believer. But I could tell, you know, there was something. He has that helmet on. And my wife came up later on, and I introduced him to her. And, and uh, he's a believer. <laughs> now, I don't know what church he went to. I don't know if he believed all the same things about Christ that I do, but he was on the same team. He had the same helmet on because he sure had that same joy going on in his life. And that's what we want to make sure we have. Make sure you got people that are on the same team. If they aren't on the same team, uh, call them out. Yeah, We need to get that boldness of Fred Price. Fred Price, he didn't care what you, who you were, what you did, what you taught. If you weren't on the team, God, he'd call you out in the middle of a meeting. <laughs> I loved his boldness. Boy, he just, he was not intimidated by, he didn't care how big of a church you had. If, <laughs> he was just fun. I enjoyed that. But don't be, don't be afraid of that. Be, uh, be ready. Because the armor of God is here. It's there to equip you. And as you go through the rest of the, the word on your own, always be looking. Where is the armor of God? How is it working? Because you can see it in many other places. We just looked at two guys. We looked at Joshua in the Old Testament. Paul in the New Testament, but you can see it in the life of Peter. You can see it in the life of Jesus. You can see it in the life of John. You can see it in the life of all these other people that were in the Word. These, uh, with Paul, we have a lot of verses about him, so we can see a lot of things about him, how he operated in this. But it's here to help you. It's here to protect you. It's here to further the kingdom of God. Father, we thank you for the armor of God that we have been given. And we are to take up the whole armor. The devil may not come after all six, all six, seven pieces at one time. But he's going to try and find a weakness. He's going to try and get something loose in our belt of truth. Loosen us up a little bit. 
Has God really said it this way? Can't you believe it that it might be this way? He's going to try and attack our standing, our right standing with you. He's going to try and attack our place in the body of Christ or get us to go after a different gospel. He's going to get us to feel like we aren't qualified to share the gospel with the people around us so that we don't go in with the shoes of the preparation, the gospel of peace. He's going to hit us with fears and worries and overwhelm us so that we think our shield of faith is not enough to protect us. It's going to try and affect us in our prayer life that we don't feel the need to pray. We don't feel that we're successful in prayer. And he's going to attack those words that you speak to us, those revelations that you give us about our situation or about the calling that we have that would affect us in what we're doing, that we would give up and not fight. But how many times did you speak the word to Paul? Paul, keep going. Keep doing this fight. You're here in the city for a reason. Father, you have us where we are for a reason. I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.